goodness. If you aren't familiar, that clip comes from a TV show called The Chosen, and it kind of dramatizes and visualizes the life of Jesus according to the scriptures. It's a favorite in the Swayze household. We've seen every episode multiple times. We love it for a bunch of different reasons. One is, it's just plain good TV. Like, if I'm honest, most Christian media is embarrassingly bad, you guys, okay? Like, most of it is just not good, but The Chosen really is as high quality as anything you're going to see on Netflix. I highly encourage you to watch it. Another reason we love it is I personally think it's... It's the best presentation or portrayal of Jesus that anybody has ever come up with. Like they, they make him into such, or they're able to portray him as such a nuanced character, you know? Um, there's just so many levels and layers to him. He's extremely likable. Like I just think it, it does a really, really good job. Like, can you imagine how hard it would be to depict the son of God and do it well? But they managed to do a pretty good job with it. Another reason that I like it a whole lot is that I think it can be a helpful supplement or aid to reading and understanding the Bible. And so there are a lot of people that'll read a chapter from the Gospels, and then they'll go watch that particular clip or episode of The Chosen, and it'll really help them to make sense out of the things that they're reading. Now, look, I want to be clear, The Chosen is not inspired, okay? The Bible is the Word of God, and we want to make sure that we never use media or something like The Chosen to supplant or replace the Scripture itself, but it can be very helpful in supplementing and giving you a a broader understanding of what the, the, the faith is and who Jesus was and what he said and did. So, Again, if you want to see more of that, they've got three seasons that are out, I believe. And so um, you can download the Chosen app or you can go to YouTube and watch different clips and things like that. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to finish our discussion of the story we just saw play out on the screen. John chapter number four, Jesus has an interaction with a Samaritan woman at the well. And if you'll remember uh, last week, we talked about the fact that um, she's coming to this water, she's drawing well, uh, she's coming to this well, she's drawing water each and every day. But Jesus points out that the water doesn't really satisfy her. No matter how much she drinks today, she's going to need more water tomorrow. And then he highlights the fact that she's kind of been approaching men in relationships in the same way. It's like she goes from marriage to marriage, from love relationship to love relationship, hoping that something is going to satisfy the void that's in her. And he keeps saying, look, you're, you're searching for this in all the wrong places. He talks to her about drinking living water, which he says has the power to satisfy each and every one of us. So what I want to do is I want to pick up the story in verse 15. We'll read a couple verses that we read last week, and then we're going to move into the, uh, the later sections of this story. John chapter number four, verse 15, you can follow along here on the screen. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, and then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Well, go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five, and the man you're married to now, uh, you're, uh, sorry, you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You have certainly spoken the truth. So in verse 19, she says, sir, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship, while we Samaritans claim that it's here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship? I really love how this interaction unfolds, right? So Jesus is talking to her about this living water and being fully satisfied in life. And then he makes a hard left turn and he starts talking about her husband and her partner and all the relationships and things like that. He kind of exposes her history, all the things that she's been doing. And so, in response, you might expect this woman to start saying, well, you don't know the whole story. Let me tell you, okay? Let me tell you why I've been married five times. Or you might expect her to say, like, I'm the victim. I'm the one that's gotten, you know, done wrong here and all of those things. But she doesn't. Instead, what she does is she takes the conversation and tries to steer it in a totally different direction. You know what I mean? If you're paying attention, 
She, it seems like she's trying to take the conversation in a much more general direction instead of such a personal direction. She's trying to make the conversation theological instead of personal. It seems like this woman, her, her response, her question that she asks is more of a deflection than it is a question. You with me? It's like she, Jesus is talking about her relational history, the problems that she's had. And she's like, well, let me ask you a question, okay? How come... You religious people, you're not even able to agree on basic stuff like where the temple is, where it is that we're supposed to go worship. You guys say it's down there on Mount Zion. We say it's up here in Mount Gerizim, all right? She's basically using a question, a theological question, but she's making it into a bit of a deflection. It seems like anyway, and it's hard to read into people's motives. We'll kind of talk about that as the morning goes on. But you know, it seems like this question is a way of distancing herself from the personal nature of what Jesus has just revealed about her. It's a way of avoiding the uncomfortable truth that her life has been full of heartache and bad choices. Some of them were done by her. Others were done to her. And it's almost like she's saying like, how dare you talk about my issues and my problems? You religious folks are the ones with all the problems, okay? You guys are constantly arguing back and forth. You disagree about really, really basic stuff like where we should be worshiping and all of that. How dare you spotlight the issues in my life? You should be focused on your own problems and Uh, debates and discussions and issues, all right? And there is some validity to her critique. There is some truth to what this woman is saying here. When Christians seem argumentative and combative with each other, when Christians make like the tiniest little theological nuance a hill to die on, when we start arguing with each other and drawing ever tighter and tighter boundaries about who's right in their doctrine and who's not right and who's really following Jesus and those people are not true Christians, when we start to do this, you know what ends up happening? We become a stumbling block for the people outside of the faith. We become a reason for people to criticize us instead of consider Christ. You with me? I don't know if you're friends with any Christians on social media. I don't know if you've got Christian friends on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever else the youths are using today. Um, But it's like, it just seems like Christians love to argue love to debate, love to discuss, love to define, love to decide who's in, who's out, who's right, who's wrong. We see this in the story of the woman at the well where the Jews are saying Samaritans are no good. They don't follow God the way that they should. The woman is no good because she's the wrong gender. It's just like again and again and again, people are arguing, they're fighting. And the problem is when we present ourselves that way to the world, we actually hinder people from coming to God. We become a good excuse for people to deflect instead of like thinking, okay, so what should I do with Jesus in my own life? It's like people have permission then to say, man, Christians suck. I don't want anything to do with them. Jesus warned us a couple of different times about having this kind of argumentative pride. I've got it all figured out. You're wrong. Turn or burn, get right or get left sort of attitude. He did. In John chapter number 13, verse 25, Jesus said this, he said, it is your love for one another that will prove to the world that you are my disciples. 
And I want you to notice, he didn't say, it is your memorization of the scripture that will prove that you are my disciples. He doesn't say, it is your doctrinal correctness that will prove that you are my disciples. He says, it is the love that you show to the people around you that will demonstrate you are genuinely my followers. In John chapter number 17, we have what we call the high priestly prayer. It's the last prayer that Jesus ever prays over his 12 disciples. And uh, in John chapter number 17, verse 11, Jesus asks God to protect them, the disciples, and by extension, all of us, protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are united, Father. Jesus wants his people to be united, to be characterized by love, to express a humility as we teach the truth, to recognize that if we are not careful, we can end up becoming a hindrance to people seeing God in us and through us. This is precisely what's going on here with this woman. She has all the reason in the world to say, you know what? Don't worry about me. Let's talk about how much drama and trauma there is within this religious community. So Christians, we've got to ask ourselves whether or not our witness, our way of living is helping or hindering people from seeing God. It's true. The way that we conduct ourselves, the way we interact with people, the things that we pursue in life, the things that we post about, the things that we talk about, we are either helping people to see God and come to him, or we're preventing people from seeing God and coming to them, to him. We are either building a bridge or a barrier, We are either drawing people closer or we are pushing them away. And so we've got to consider like, man, am I really taking a stand about things that matter or am I arguing about stuff that in the end isn't going to matter? Is is my posting, is my conversation, is the, the way that I'm living my life, is it spotlighting Jesus or is it spotlighting something or someone else? We have to consider this because people are watching. Do you realize you might be the only Christian that the people at your workplace know? Like, they're not looking at me. They're looking at you. And the conception and perception that they have about God is going to come from you before it ever comes from me or her or him or them. And so we've got this opportunity, we have this obligation to make sure that we don't give people reasons to reject Christ. We don't give people um, a reason to, to not even consider who Christ is and what he calls them to and calls them from. The truth is Jesus is offensive enough on his own. I, I, like, I don't know where people get the idea that Jesus was this chill, hippie, wise man that was so cool with everything and everyone. Like, you have not read the Bible if that's what you think. Yeah, he said some wonderful things, and he, is, he expressed the love of God to everybody, and he said some very blunt truths. Jesus said, oh, man, I didn't even tell the first crowd this, so you're getting the extra, okay? You're getting the director's cut here. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin by looking lustfully at a woman, gouge it out. It's better to go to heaven with one eye than go to hell with both. That ain't chill. That's not chill, Jesus. Okay, so the thing is, Jesus is offensive enough on his own. He said, broad is the path that leads to destruction and narrow is the gate that leads to life. There'll be plenty of people that end up in the wrong place. There'll be very few that manage to find the right gate. He doesn't need our help pushing people away. (laughs) He'll do enough of that on his own. So our job then is to love people and not give them another excuse to ignore what Jesus had to say. 
Now, let me speak to those of you guys that uh, maybe you've, you've been hesitant to become a follower of Jesus because of what you've seen out of some of the religious people around you. Um, they're, they're just so mean. They're always arguing and they're arrogant and they're prideful and they just have this attitude. It's like, I'm right, you're wrong. We've got it figured out. You don't. I believe Christ shares your frustrations. I really do. I certainly share your frustrations. The, the amount of times when I'm like, oh my gosh, some of the people in my own church are so argumentative. They fight over every little thing. We're, we're supposed to be characterized by love. We're supposed to be characterized by kindness and gentleness and goodness and patience, the fruit of the spirit for goodness sake. So I definitely understand your frustrations as well. But can I challenge you to consider that while your tensions and frustrations and questions, they might be they might be sincere on some level, is it possible that they are also a deflection? That like, it's convenient to say, yeah, Christians suck. I don't want anything to do with them. And to use that as a good reason to not consider what Jesus means to you and what God has in store for you and what he calls you to. Because in the end, each of us, every single person on the planet is going to stand before God. And we're not going to stand before God in a crowd. You can stand before God on judgment day and you could say, you know what, God, I really wanted to believe in you, but your people were awful. So I decided not to. God's going to say, you're right, a lot of them were awful. And I'm going to deal with them, but we're not talking about them right now. We're talking about you. What did you do when you learned who Jesus was? How did you respond and react? So what we've got to be careful to do is as Christians, we don't claim the name of Jesus in a way that prevents people from coming to Jesus. And we've got to be sure that we don't let other people claim the name of Jesus and keep us from him. In the end, we've got to make a personal choice, just like this woman at the well did. So please don't let idiots um, prevent you from coming to Jesus, okay? Even if they're Christian idiots. Now, there are, definitely, there are definitely questions that we can have that are sincere. So like not every question that we might have about Jesus or God or the faith or the Bible or whatever is a deflection. It's not all a way of avoiding like uncomfortable decisions and truths about our own life. I have sincere questions. You have sincere questions about God, faith, the Bible, humanity, eternity, all that sort of stuff. And, and really, like I mentioned a moment ago, it's very difficult to read motives, okay? So it does seem to me like the woman is deflecting Jesus is like, let's talk about your relational history. And she's like, no, 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 no. Let's talk about worship. Let's talk about theology and doctrine for a moment. Okay, it seems like a deflection. But what if she was sincere? Like, it's possible that maybe because she was a woman, because she was a Samaritan, she had never had one-on-one access to a rabbi in her entire life. This was a brand new opportunity for her. And so maybe she was like, I've always wondered, why do, everybody, why, do, why do all these religious people argue about whether we're supposed to worship here or there? This might've been a sincere question. And she decided to take advantage of the opportunity of asking a learned um, rabbi, okay? Now, uh, Jesus taught, or Jesus took her as sincere in her question. He didn't say like, girl, that's a deflection. Come on now, we're here to do business Don't ask me these theological questions because you don't really care about any of that. Let's talk about your relational life. That's why I brought, no, he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, okay, if you want to know the answer to that question, let me answer it for you. And what I love about his response, you're going to see this as he kind of, um, he unpacks some things for her, is that the way Jesus responds to her, it reminds us that sincere questions are always welcome in the Christian faith. Sincere questions are always welcome in the Christian faith. Let me say that again, because some of you guys have heard otherwise. Sincere questions are always welcome in the Christian faith. The Bible is full of people asking honest, 
real and raw questions about God and then wrestling with the answers that they find there. Go read the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is full of David and other people that are asking really difficult questions. Like, God, why do so many bad things happen to good people? Why is it that evil people prosper? Why are there natural disasters? That seems unfair to all of us, right? Where is God when life seems hard? Why is it that religious people are so obnoxious? There are all of these issues and questions and tensions that are dealt with in the Psalms alone. Go read the book of Job. Job is the story of a man who lost everything. And the meat of the book, 40-something chapters, is him and his friends sitting around and asking questions about why God would allow such a tragedy to befall them. Go read the book of Lamentations. Did you know there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations? It's a book about sorrow, lament, weeping. It's like heartache and heartbreak over how awful life can be sometimes. But it's not just Old Testament. You know, the New Testament is full of people asking questions and wrestling through the answers that they get. Did you know in the Gospels, the disciples are constantly asking Jesus questions. Sometimes they ask him questions that you're like, why would you even think to ask that sort of question, right? But here's the deal. There is never one time in the entire scripture where the disciples ask Jesus a question and he says, you know, you've heard it said, there are no dumb questions, but verily I say unto you, that was a dumb question, okay? No, Jesus never says that. Instead, they ask questions, even superficial questions, even basic questions, even stupid questions, and he always answers them sincerely. Listen, you may have grown up in a faith tradition that told you you shouldn't ask so many questions. It's proof that you don't really believe. That's a freaking lie. I know it's a lie. It's proof that you're engaging you're trying to learn. You're trying to grow. You're trying to figure it out. You're not just saying, well, I don't know. My pastor told me this one time, so I believe it. No, you're trying to figure it out and own it for yourself. And so listen, if you've ever gotten the idea that questions are not welcome in the Christian faith, it is not true. Questions, sincere questions are always welcome. They're always welcome in the faith. They're always welcome here at Connect Church. Many of you can testify to this. You came and you were skeptical and you didn't believe and you were told you aren't allowed to ask these sorts of questions. And then you came to me and you asked real questions and rough questions and raw questions. And a lot of times I was like, I don't know, but let's see if we can figure it out together. We're not gonna be afraid of questions. What do you have? Like, do you think by asking a real question, by like voicing the questions that are in your head, that somehow you're accidentally going to undo the Christian faith. You know what I'm saying? Like God is not afraid of your questions. You're not going to come up with something that somebody else hasn't already thought to ask in the 2000 years of the Christian faith. So we're not going to be afraid. The scripture says, what does light have to fear when it comes to darkness? So ask away, ask whatever questions you want. Ask as many questions as you want. The only thing I ask is that you ask them sincerely that you ask because you honestly want to know, not to deflect, not to, not to prove a point or something like that. But like we as believers should come with a sense of humility and a sense of wonder, a desire to be fed, a desire to learn and to grow, a desire to take a stand on the things that truly matter and not spend our time arguing about stuff that's actually going to get in the way of other people seeing God in us and through us. Sincere questions are always welcome here. And actually, I want to help 
So some of you guys may not know this, but for a while now, I've been doing this series on YouTube. It's called Ask Pastor Dan. Um, so basically, you guys submit questions to me, and I take five to seven minutes, and I answer whatever questions you guys have. And we've covered the gamut from like creation in Genesis 1. The last one that we just did was about weird worship. Like you ever been to a church where they speak in tongues, and they're waving flags, and run up and down the aisles, and all that sort of stuff? What's going on there? Is that cool? Is it not cool? What does God think about that stuff? We, we're talking about this breadth of Christian experience and faith. And so I encourage you guys, the whole reason I'm doing this is to help answer your questions. So you can go to askpd.ca, you can go to our website, connectcalgary.ca, and submit a question. It's anonymous. I don't require you to put your name in there. So like, ask away, and I'll do my best to, to answer them on our YouTube channel. My desire is that we would create a faith community where you could walk in and ask any question you want and not worry about being shamed or ridiculed or shut down but instead you would discover the answers that God has for you so that you would be strengthened in your faith and you would know why you believe what you believe so that when you're out in the world and people are like, why would you possibly believe that? You actually have an answer other than, I don't know, it's just what I've heard since I was a little kid. All right, moving on. Jesus treats her question as if it's sincere. She says, well, look, you know, you're a prophet, so let's talk about why y'all can't agree on where the correct site of worship is. And so in verse 21, he's gonna respond to her and he says this very famous teaching. He says, uh, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. He says, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes from the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, sincerity and correctness, right? According to the word and according to the Holy Spirit. Now in verse 25, the woman's kind of like, all right, all right, all right. You're a prophet. I know you've got your thoughts about God, just like all these other people have had their thoughts about God. My teachers have been telling me this. Your teachers have been telling you that. She goes on to say, look, I know that one day the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. She's kind of like, I'm sick of hearing what people think about God. I want to hear from God himself. Like, I want to know from the source. Then Jesus told her in verse 26, I am the Messiah. There is so much. Like, I could preach an entire sermon to you on this one line. It is so rich and so beautiful. The first thing I want you to notice is that um, in the scripture, if you're reading in a Bible, you can see I've kind of tried to highlight it here. You're going to notice that the phrase I am is in all capital letters. And I told you a few weeks ago, when you're reading through the Bible and you see the phrase the Lord in all capital letters, it's not like bolding the text, not like emphasis, like the Lord. No, what the authors of the scripture the translators are doing is they're showing you that in this moment, the writer or the speaker is using God's personal name, his covenant name, Yahweh. We talked about how God revealed his personal name as Yahweh to Moses way back in the book of Exodus. So Jesus here, when he says, I am the Messiah, he's intentionally using that phrase. People say Jesus never claimed to be God. He literally used God's personal name for himself. She said, I know when the Messiah comes, he will reveal all things to us. And Jesus replied, Yahweh Amashiach, I am the Messiah. He revealed himself to this woman. What's wild about this is when he chose the moment 
to actually proclaim himself as the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah. He didn't do it to his 12 disciples. When Jesus wanted to reveal himself and basically unbutton his shirt and show the S for savior, um, when he revealed his identity, he didn't do it to his mother. He didn't reveal himself to his own family. He didn't go to the temple and say, here I am, the Christ, the anointed one, verify me, please. He chose to reveal himself first to a poor, lonely Samaritan woman at a well. Oh, you guys. The weight, the meaning, the beauty, the depth of that is so good. It, it, It reminds me that God loves everyone. He loves the religious people that are so obnoxious, the ones that you and I can't stand. God actually loves them. He loves the non-religious people. He loves them. He loves the Samaritans. He loves the Jews. He loves the Canadians and the Americans, if you can believe it. God loves everyone. He loves men. He loves women. He loves old people, young people, rich people, and poor people. Like, God loves all. There is nothing about you that excludes you from God's mercy through Jesus. Do you know, there is nothing about you that puts you on the outside. This is why the the game that religious people like me so often play is dangerous because we keep drawing the lines tighter and tighter and tighter. Who's in, who's out? Pretty soon, I'm the only one that's left because I'm the only one that's right. Jesus came to show us that God's love extends to the entire world, including this overlooked woman, including this outcast woman, including the doubters, including the skeptics, including the scientifically minded people. There is nothing about you that puts you outside of God's mercy through Jesus. Nothing prevents you from receiving living water from Christ. We see just from this woman's story, your gender can't prevent you. Your religion can't prevent you. Your race doesn't prevent you. Your socioeconomic class will not prevent you. Your questions can't prevent you. Your past won't prevent you. Your present circumstances aren't going to uh, prevent you. Everything about you, God already knows it. And he still says, I love you. He looked that woman in the eye. He said, girl, you've had five husbands and now you're shacking up with another dude. And he didn't say, I hate it. You dirty lady. You're, you know, no, he expressed love. He revealed himself. He revealed the love of God to her. And he does the same for each and every one of us. There is nothing about us that would exclude us from being included in God. All we have to do is turn to him and put our faith in him. You might have a a voice in your head and it's saying, not me, not me. Maybe it's not me. You're saying not me because you still have questions that need answers get in line. I've got questions that need it. Everybody has questions that still need answers. If you're waiting to put your faith in God until all of your questions are answered, guess what? Never going to happen. There's always more questions. It's part of the reason I love my faith. I've been practicing it for 25 years. I've been a professional Christian for 20 years. Like that means I get paid to do this. You know what I'm saying? And like, even still, I've got a million questions, more questions than ever. So if, you're, if your questions are keeping you away, don't worry about all those questions. Just worry about the one. Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? That's the only one that really matters. 
In the end, what are you going to do with what Jesus said about himself in verse 26? He said, I am the Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one. He is the chosen one. His job, he was set aside for the purpose of coming to earth and revealing God to us. Do you know this woman is so much more theologically correct than she even realized? When she's basically saying, I am sick of hearing about what people say about God. God's like, absolutely, girl, you are right. I don't want to hear another word from another person about who they think I am. Let me show you who I am. So Jesus is God incarnate. He is God made flesh. He is God revealed so that we don't have to guess. You don't have to listen to my opinion. You don't have to try to figure it out for yourself. If you want to know the father, all you have to do is look at Jesus. And what I love about Jesus is that he didn't come and just give us words. He didn't just come and talk about God. The Bible says that he came to demonstrate God's love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He put his life on the line so that he could reveal the love of God for each and every one of us. Not just talk, but action. It's so good. It's so wonderful. I'm just blown away that anybody says no, frankly. I just don't get it. Because seeing Jesus, what he said and did, and and how it changed me and how it changed other people here in the room, I just believe it has the power to change you. But you've got to say yes. You have to accept Christ as the Messiah. You got to choose. Do I believe? Will I place my faith and trust in him? And if the answer is yes, and you're ready to do that, I want to help. I want, to, I want to give you a simple prayer that you can pray today to begin a relationship with God, to, to be born again, to have all of your past mistakes forgiven, just like this woman did, to be set on a brand new course in life with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So would everybody just bow your head and close your eyes right there in your seat? You're not gonna, I'm not going to ask you to stand up or speak out loud or anything like that. But I I just believe there are people that are here and you're saying, this living water that Jesus is offering, I need it. I want it. I'm tired of chasing after things that don't satisfy. I'm tired of letting my doubts and fears get in the way. And so I'm going to invite you to pray this simple prayer just in your heart to God after me. Dear Jesus, today I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me despite my sins and mistakes. Thank you for giving me a hope and a future, something new and better to live for. I pray that you would be my Lord from this day forward. In your name, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, man, Shannon's going to be up here in just a few minutes. She's going to tell you a little bit more about how we can help you as you begin to take your first steps of faith um, following Jesus. But maybe when I said, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? You said, no, not really cool. That's fine. No sweat. You're welcome here. Come back next week. Nobody's going to like, you know, be like, she don't really believe she's faking it. No, this is a place where skeptics are welcome. We want you here. So here's my challenge. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, why? Is that a conclusion that you have reached in an informed way? You've decided that because you actually read about Jesus, because you spent time around Jesus people, you, you got a sense of what it means to live as a Christian in the world. And then you decided, nah, that ain't for me. If so, I respect you genuinely. But if you're like, nah, I just don't believe because nobody believes this stuff. Yes, we do. Jesus has been changing lives for thousands of years. Yes. The church is alive. The Christ is alive. The word is alive. Yes. 
He is bringing renewal into all things. And so if you just say, dismiss it out of hand, and no, I don't want anything to do with that, but you never investigate for yourself, come on, that's not intellectually honest. If you're gonna say no, at least know what you're saying no to. So that's my challenge. Read, learn, and then reject it based on what you actually observe. Okay, I gotta wrap up. Verses 28 on down towards the end of this, uh, this section of scripture. The woman, after Jesus reveals himself, I am the Messiah. After he reveals himself, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. You skip on down to uh, verse number 40. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more people to hear this message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. You see what I'm talking about? You got to decide for yourself. These, this woman, she becomes not only the first person that Jesus reveals his true identity to the Messiah, she becomes the first evangelist. She's the first person that's running out and telling everybody about Jesus and what he did for her. Now, again, I could preach an entire sermon just on these few verses. There's so much depth here and nuance and just beauty to this. Notice this woman had been a Christian for about 30 seconds. You with me? And she's running out and telling everybody about Jesus. Man, there are some of us, we've been Christians for like three years, and we're like, no, I don't know enough to say anything yet. <laughs> Do you think this woman had a lot of theological education? Absolutely not. Do you think she had answers to all of her questions? No, definitely not. But you know what she had? An undeniable encounter with Jesus that changed her life. Yes. That was enough. Like, I, I just... I, I don't know what to say to you guys. Jesus changed me. I'm not the same kid I was. And nobody can argue with that. First few years of my Christian life, like my family, my friends, they were like, yeah, all right, we'll see. You'll be through this phase soon enough. Nope, because Jesus really changed me. He really changed you too. That story is enough to change other people. But then notice, when the woman goes on and she's talking about this, she's sharing her personal testimony. Come see this man that told me everything I ever did and loved me anyway. When she gets to the, to the town, we know she already believed. We know that. When she gets to the town, she says, could he be the Messiah? It's like this woman is intuitively practicing what she, practicing what she was preaching. Rather than going in and saying, I found the Messiah. This is him. Y'all need to get right or get left. You know, this is it. This is your chance. She just says, come and see. I think he's the Messiah. Come see for yourself. And so they come and they hear. They see a woman they knew transformed and then they investigate the claims of Jesus for themselves and they experience transformation as well. Do you know, it does not matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus. If you just prayed that prayer a moment ago for the very first time, congratulations, you are now an evangelist. Your job is to go and to start talking about how good God is and how good Jesus has been to you to help other people to come to know him in the same way that you have. Of course you don't have all the answers. Of course you don't to have the scriptures memorized. Of course, sometimes you're going to get tongue-tied. Of course, people are going to reject you. None of that matters because you've had a real encounter with Jesus. That's good enough. That is something God can use. In fact, you've got the opportunity this week to do just that. 
this coming Sunday is Easter. It's the biggest and best Sunday of the year. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus over death, hell, and the grave. Come on. It is going to be an amazing service. And this week, you're going to have opportunities to invite somebody to come with you. Come and see. Come see this Jesus that's changed me. Come see this Jesus that's made all the difference. You're going to have that opportunity. In fact, I think we've got like invite cards around here this morning. Pass them out. Invite your neighbors, your coworkers. If by some miracle they say yes, and many of them will. Next week, here's my promise to you. I promise you, I will not make it weird. (laughs) You bring your non-religious friends and family to church. I promise you, I will not make them upset, angry, uncomfortable, okay? We're not gonna be talking about gender and sexuality next Sunday. We're not gonna be talking about people burning in a lake of fire forever. We're not gonna be talking about any of that stuff. Not that we often do that anyway, but you hear me? Like, here's what we're gonna do. Next Sunday, we're gonna talk about Jesus. We're gonna talk about Jesus who was crucified for our sins, but when he was buried, he rose in victory over those sins so that we could live in victory as well. I want them to see God's love through Christ next Sunday. That's what I'm going to be preaching. And if you want them to experience what you have, all you have to do is what the woman at the well did and say, come see a man who told me everything I ever needed to know. God, I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word today. Create in us a desire, a hunger and a thirst for you to know more about our faith, to ask the right questions, to not be afraid. God, when people ask questions, help us not to shut them down, but help us to enter in with them and do our best to answer those questions with them. And then God, I pray that you would just make us into people who are so in love with Jesus that God, we can't help but talk about him. We can't help but talk about how good he's been to us and the change that he's made in our lives. Help the world to see you through us each and every day. We pray this in your name. Amen.